Well, good morning, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again and to open up God's Word. I have now lived long enough. I'm, I turned 70. It's hard for me to believe that this past uh, this year, actually, in, in June. I've lived long enough to be able to look back and to remember clearly uh, times when our culture was Christian-friendly. And surprise, surprise, it isn't anymore. It's Christian hostile. But in looking back, I have to be careful of a couple of things. I have to be careful I don't just live in this nostalgic looking back and when it was Christian friendly and all that kind of thing. And I also have to be careful not to be overly angry about that. Because didn't the Lord Jesus Christ tell us very clearly, his disciples, that we should expect the hostility of the world? So really, we aren't experiencing anything that the early Christians didn't experience and many brothers and sisters throughout history. And that doesn't make it easy to take or it's something we desire. But nevertheless, that's the case. That's kind of the norm. Uh, The church in a hostile world, um, we fight for our lives, so to speak, in the gospel. The Apostle Peter, in his second epistle, is very much aware of that and is writing to brothers and sisters who are experiencing the hostility of that world, especially uh, in in the frame of uh, false teaching. And that brings it even closer to home because it's not just the world that's hostile, but it is false teachers, worldly men, who have infiltrated and corrupted the church and made a great danger. Before I want to read my text, I'd like to read the last couple of verses of 2 Peter because I think he summarizes his point here in a very brief way. At the end of 2 Peter, in verse 17, he says, Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What I'd like you to think about with me this morning, then, is how do we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and protect ourselves from this stumbling, from this being led astray, from this caving in to the world and to false teaching. And the answer, then, is found in our text this morning, which is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Before I read it, Let me summarize the two main points that might even help you as we read through this. Peter says there are two ways that we grow in the grace and knowledge and that the church is protected from this false teaching. First, by prizing and treasuring God's precious and magnificent promises. And then precisely because of that, to make every effort to be diligent to grow in Christian character. And so then, let's hear these words from God. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 11. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For, an entrance, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wonderful words. Let us pray. Our Father, we now pray that as we have read your inspired and holy word and as we come to you as, as sinners, your people, but we struggle with the hostility of the world and sometimes being confused by false teaching in our own minds, that you would, you would now equip us, you would enable us to grow in grace uh, and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to make much of your promises, and because of those promises, to pursue godly character. Please speak to us now. Uh, send forth your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, two main points that Peter gives us here, I believe, can be summarized as the prizing of God's precious and magnificent promises and then linked to it precisely because of those promises to make every effort to pursue growth in Christian character. So then, let's consider this reliance on the promises of God. Peter says, well, there are wonderful things throughout this text, but notice in verse 3, he tells us that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, that, that's, that's a sermon in itself. Here are these believers, uh, pressured by a hostile world, uh, beset by false teaching, and they might have thrown up their shoulder, thrown up their hands, as we sometimes do, and say, how am I ever going to survive? How am I going to make, I mean, how is it possible to even live a godly life in this, in this evil world, and, and there's corrupt teaching flying at us, I almost want to surrender. I almost want to give up. How can we do that? And Peter says, oh, don't you dare do that. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Even if uh, our struggle is not as dramatic as I just described it, have you ever and haven't we all at times just kind of been in a rut spiritually? Just kind of stuck. Feel like we're not going anywhere in our Christian growth. And we think, I I think I need a new book. I think I must need the new, hottest Christian book that I can read and it will set me straight. Or or maybe we even think, you know, I I think I just, it must be be my church. I need a new church. I think that'll do it for me. That'll help me. Or or, or I need, I don't know, I need a retreat or I need some special conference. I, I need some new experience that'll that'll set me straight and put me back on the track. My friends, you don't need anything new. You need to process what you already have. You need to deepen and grow in what God has already given you. Listen again to what the apostle says. 
his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Our Lord has given us everything we need and has not shortchanged us a bit. And this comes from his divine power. And notice how this divine power is specifically that of Jesus, our Lord. This is one of the places in the New Testament where the divinity of the second person of the Trinity is clearly stated. You know, sometimes people will look at the well, he didn't claim to be God, which is, which is, of course, not true. And uh, you can't really see that Jesus himself is fully God in the New Testament, which is not true. But here is one of those proof texts that shows it very clearly. It is the power of God, the divine power of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it is through the knowledge of him. And Peter is not talking here simply about an intellectual knowledge. He's surely talking about an experiential knowledge, uh, a a, a union and communion with him. And and it is in this relationship that, that specifically he has given to us wonderful promises. The, uh, uh, the mechanism, you might say, by which uh, we have this knowledge of him and have everything we need uh, for life and godliness is through the promises of God. Peter says he has called us to these by his own glory and virtue. Commentators point out how some of the ancient Greek writers would use precisely those words, glory and, and virtue, to, re- to describe the great heroes of old. Uh, Homer, perhaps, or well, Homer was the writer, but say in the in the Iliad or the Odyssey, um, the great heroes were described as men and sometimes women of glory and virtue. And here Peter takes those very words and said, "Let me show you who the true hero is. It is our God. It is our Lord Jesus Christ, who in glory and virtue, virtue meaning moral excellence." dazzling moral excellence. And through these, he has given to us his precious and magnificent promises. My friends, we should make much of the promises of God. If you know your Bibles, and of course many of you do, in one sense, we, could, we can honestly say, well, there, there's one promise, really, in the Bible, and that's true to say that. There's one master promise. And what is that? It is when God says to us, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And as we trace that out through the scriptures, ultimately that comes to expression in the the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the lordship and glory of Jesus Christ. That is the promise of the Bible, and you can see it from one end to the other. But we must also speak of promises, because that's how Peter speaks here. He has given to us his exceedingly great and precious promises that by them we might grow in life and godliness. Notice that by his promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, sometimes in the history of the church, people have gotten a little weird with that statement. 
and used it as kind of a basis for saying we become God, uh, we become div- divinized. You know, so you see some of that to this day in the Eastern Church and so on. We don't have to go crazy with that. We always have to compare Scripture to Scripture. And certainly what he's saying is that in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we come to share in a finite way some of the attributes of God. You shall be holy for I am holy. Yes, we come to share in the holiness of God. We come to share in, in, um, in the love of God. And in that sense, we are participating in his very nature. Not simply things God is telling us or teaching us, but we share in that fellowship with, with the triune God. What a wonderful thing to think about. And it is through that that we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's really our problem, is corrupt, evil desires. That's what makes the world so appealing to us. That's what makes false teaching so appealing to us. And Peter going to say that these false teachers appeal to sensuality. And you can kind of have, in their, in their scheme of things, you can have God and you can have the world too. You can have your evil desires. And by lust here, I'm quite sure Peter doesn't... We think of sex, it includes that, of course. That's one of our corrupt and evil desires um, within the, within the uh, framework of marriage, of course. Uh, sexual desire is a very good and wonderful thing, but, but outside of that, it is not. But, but Peter surely has in mind any kind of, of corrupt and evil desire for power or possessions or, or various pleasures. And that's really what corrupts us and leads us to astray and makes us vulnerable to the world and, and to false teaching. And so then, let's, let's focus more then on these wonderful, great, and magnificent promises that God has given us. Um, I remember R.C. Sproul, I heard R.C. Sproul one time talking about that, that old statement about God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Have you heard that one? He says you don't need the middle term in that, because if God says it, it is settled whether you believe it or not. That's true. But how wonderful when we do believe it. How wonderful, yes, God's promises, when he he states it, it is settled, absolutely. But how wonderful when we embrace those promises by faith. What are those promises? Well, in God's providence, we we recently moved, and uh, we've been unpacking a lot of, first we packed a lot of boxes, now we're unpacking. And I just found this, this letter that my son wrote to me about 10 years ago. And uh, he was quoting a sermon from Ralph Erskine, who was one of the, uh, I believe, 19th century, early 18th century, slightly after Whitfield, I believe. He and his brother uh, had a lot to do with the Reformation and revival of the church in Scotland. But anyway, my son Brent is quoting to me uh, a section of Erskine's sermons where he talks about the promises of God. And I want to read it. It, it. Not the whole sermon, just the quote about the promises. But it is something of a lengthy quote, but I don't set it forth because you're going to remember every detail, and I want you to write this down, I want you to remember every... I, I want to kind of give us a drink from a fire hydrant. That's why I'm reading this. So you might have some sense, and maybe, maybe I say even some feeling, of how precious and magnificent the promises of God are. So Erskine says this, What can you desire that is not in the promise? The promise contains salvation from sin, from the guilt of sin, 
from the filth of sin, from the sting of sin, from the power of sin, from the strain of sin, from the stain of sin, from the fruit of sin, from the fountain of sin, from the very being of sin. There are promises of salvation from wrath, from the law, from justice, from death, from hell, from the world, from the devil, and from unreasonable men. Here are promises for salvation from troubles and reproaches and fears and faintings, salvation from desertion and despondency, from wants and weakness, from wrongs and injuries done to our names or otherwise. Here are promises of salvation from all woes and weariness, salvation from backsliding and apostasy, salvation from plagues and imperfections, innumerable positive salvations and mercies, promises of pardoning mercy, sin-subduing mercy, healing mercy, conquering mercy, comforting mercy, uh, grace-increasing mercy, perfecting mercy, upholding mercy, grace-increasing mercy, and all to sanctify God's providences. Promises to sanctify all crosses, all relations. Promises of defending mercy, strengthening mercy, helping mercy, following mercy, enlightening, enlivening, enlarging mercy. Promises of mercy for supplying your wants, dispelling your fears, covering your infirmities, hearing your prayers, ordering all things for your good, promises of salvation to everlasting life, glory, and immortality. How about that? How about that? About the promises of God. If if you'd like that quote, just send me an email. I'll be glad to send it to you if you want the whole thing just to see it. But, But I... What a fire hydrant. What a wonderful provision are, 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 the, are the magnificent and precious promises of God. I ask you this, Christian. Do you make much of the promises of God? Are they delightful to you? Do you ponder them and feed upon them and draw near to them uh, daily? And uh, <clears throat> because of that, because of those magnificent promises, we might, we might conclude at this point and say, well then, God has done everything. There's nothing for me to do. And I think there is a view of sanctification going around that is kind of like that. It's sort of like God has provided, he's justified us, and sanctification will just kind of grow organically out of our relationship with Christ, which is true. That's, that's half of what sanctification is. I don't dispute that. But, my friends, it's not true to say there's nothing for us to do. It's precisely because God has given us everything and has given us precious and magnificent promises, there's much for us to do. And that's why I... I wanted both parts of this text because I think they're both very important. Notice verse 5. For this very reason, God having given us all that we need in his promises, giving all diligence to grow in Christian character. And then he gives us this magnificent uh, um, description of what Christian character is. Beginning with faith, 
and make every effort to add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and Christian love. I don't believe this is an exhaustive list. I don't believe Peter intends that to be. You can look at other places in the Bible and we'll see other kinds of virtues, uh, other kinds of moral excellences. By the way, the, the virtue in the list I just read is the exact same word that's used in verse 3 to describe the glory and virtue of God who gave us everything necessary for life and godliness. We are in some way to reflect that very moral excellence and these other characteristics. And I also don't think, I wouldn't insist on a strict order of these things, though I think faith certainly comes first. Faith would be the mother, uh, certainly, of these virtues, and no, no way could we grow in Christian character without faith. But for the rest of them, I wouldn't say Peter is so much an order here as it is multifaceted beauty of godliness. We certainly wouldn't want to say, well, I can't work on love yet because I haven't mastered self-control. Uh, I couldn't work on perseverance yet because I'm still working on knowledge. No, 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 no. This is a life project. We're working on all of these all the time. Uh, I think that's a much better way of looking at this. And my friends, think of how important character is. The lordship of Jesus Christ sets very high demands. Which is why we must begin with the promises. Because if we don't have the promises, this list will crush us. We'll say, who's adequate for this? Are you kidding me? I can't be all of these things. No, we must draw water from the wells of God's promises and his his provision for us. And because of that, we can make progress in growth of Christian character. But make no mistake about it, we must grow in Christian character. Our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said. And friends, if we don't grow in character, notice the terrible description of verse 8. If we're not growing in character, we'll be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our God. What a horrible thing to be professing Christians, but our lives are just barren. They're just unfruitful. There's no impact on our neighbors or our world or our families. But if we're growing in these things, we will not be barren or unfruitful. We will not have forgotten our cleansing from sin and what it means to be a Christian. Character is so vital in the way God has set up his world to work. I, I mentioned that we have moved recently, and I ended up, for a reason, I, I didn't sell my former house in Connecticut, I ended up renting it out. Somewhat reluctantly, I'm a very reluctant landlord, but I was just nervous about how do you find somebody who's going to rent your house and take care of it reasonably well and pay the rent. So I called my friend Doug, and Doug owns five or six houses, and he does this all the time, and he rents out, and he's had some bad experiences. He's learned some things. I said, Doug, what am I looking for? How do you find somebody that's going to pay the rent? And he said, Brad, you're looking for character. And I think that's exactly right. You want to find out as much as you can about this person who's going to rent your house and as much about their past and, and track record as you can, and that's how you figure out if they're going to pay the rent or not. I think that's exactly right. And is not so much of life like that. If you're single 
and you're looking for a mate. Sure, looks are important. Sure, common interests are important. But you better be looking for character. Somebody's going to enter into those vows and keep them. I think we make too much of gifts and abilities, though they are important. Looking for a pastor, you're looking for officers in the church, sure. You want some gifts, sure, to publicly communicate, and you want some abilities and maybe some administrative ability, but but you're looking for character. Because those gifts and abilities won't do the church any good. In fact, they'll damage the church if there's not character, right? These things that are listed here. Isn't that true in the workplace? You're hiring somebody or you, you have a co-worker? Of course, you need certain specific professional skills. Of course, that's necessary. But what if they don't have good character? And they're not going to do the job. They're not going to tell the truth. They're going to mess around with the money. They're going to mess around with the data. No, you want character. And that's so it shouldn't surprise us that in our calling to the living God who created the heavens and the earth, that he too calls us to a very high bar of what Christian character is. Now, I haven't taken the time, I don't have the time to go through these in detail, but I think you understand them. And, I, and then again, I think the overall picture is really what we should walk away from this with. Wow, that's a high bar. And that's what God calls us to. And thank God it's what he's provided for in his grace and his promises for us to grow in grace. This growth in character, and I close with this, also gives us a wonderful assurance that we really do belong to him. I know at the end of the day, what we do go back to in our assurance, as miserably as we fail sometimes, and we all do, is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that God has mercy on sinners. That's, of course, our ultimate and final and basic assurance. But as we grow in character, we want to see some change in our lives from the gospel, and that too assures us. That's what Peter means in verse 10. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. What's he talking about? He's talking about growing in character. That's how. Believing the promises of God and growing in godly character, you have assurance then. And an entrance will be provided for you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life, my friends, has very high standards divine standards. And it calls for the utmost effort to grow in grace and godliness precisely because he has provided everything we need for life and godliness in our union with him and in his precious and magnificent promises. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we do pray that you would help us enlighten our hearts, open us up, that we would just be dazzled by your promises. And thank you so much that you've provided everything for life and godliness, because if you haven't, we are lost. There is no hope for us. But because of your provision and your promises, Lord, we can make diligent effort to grow in these virtues of Christian character. And I pray that you would help us to do so, that it would be for your glory, that it would be for a witness to the world around, and that it would be for our good. And we pray thankfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us uh, respond to the word now and prepare.
for the Lord's Supper as we sing. Be still, my soul.